It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Events in the Middle East are continuing to unfold at a dizzying pace. It can sometimes feel like it's impossible to keep up. Yesterday, Joe Biden landed in Israel. I wanted to be here today uh, for a simple reason. I wanted the people of Israel, the people of the world, to know where the United States stands. He arrived as the crisis had reached a new peak with the bombing of a hospital in Gaza. We're learning new details tonight about an explosion at a hospital in Gaza City. The Palestinian Health Ministry says hundreds of people killed, many more injured. The Gazans blamed the Israelis, whilst the Israelis blamed a militant group in Gaza. Now Hamas is blaming an Israeli airstrike, but Israel is denying responsibility, saying their intelligence shows it was caused by a failed rocket launch by the group Islamic Jihad. The the ramifications of the misreporting of this malfunctioned rocket has reverberated around the world, creating unrest because it's inaccurate. In the hours that have followed, the whole region has seemed to edge closer to a dangerous escalation. Iran has already called on the Muslim world to impose an oil embargo against Israel and to cut off all diplomatic relations, as people across the region have taken to the streets in protest. Rage is erupting across the Arab world. Thousands of protesters converged on the U.S. Embassy in Beirut. We're here to, to let the Arab people wake up. In Turkey, demonstrators rushed the Israeli consulate in Istanbul. President Biden flew in, hoping to prevent the conflict from spreading across the Middle East. But it's already having an impact around the world. So Russia and China are kind of playing a double game where they're trying to carry favour with the Arab world by being seen as on the pro-Palestinian side, casting the West as pro-Israel and therefore anti-Palestinian. 
with tensions ratcheting up, there's one question that's preoccupying leaders and diplomats. How do you stop this from becoming the start of World War III? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, how the Middle East conflict could escalate. I'm Catherine Philp, and The Times' is World Affairs Editor, and I am currently in Tel Aviv. Catherine, ever since the attack by Hamas, it's felt like the Middle East is teetering precariously. And then on top of that, you get the bombing of this hospital in Gaza, and it feels like that's just pushed things even closer to the brink. How might Israel's neighbours now respond? How might this conflict spread? Well, I think we've seen since the explosion at the hospital, which was immediately taken to be an Israeli airstrike, an assessment that now looks in some doubt. There's certainly a convincing counter case that it may have been a, a rocket fired by one of the other militant groups in Gaza. But the fact is that it's already become a lightning rod for protest across the Arab world, both on on the streets of the Middle East and in presidential palaces. And amongst the leaders of those countries, it's been extremely poorly received. There have been protests in all the capitals of the neighbouring countries to Israel. Some of those protests have been also aimed at the Americans. So there were protests outside the US embassy in Beirut. Some of the protests in the West Bank. (laughs) Aimed at the Palestinian president, Abbas, who's seen as something of a sort of security subcontractor for the Israelis. So he may himself not escape the anger of his people about what they believe the Israelis to have done in Gaza. And all of this, just as President Biden was set to be flying into the region, from what's happened since, from the way those countries have reacted to his visit, do we get a sense of where diplomatic relations are now? I mean, it's very difficult to tell because everyone's jumped very quickly to draw their conclusions on what happened. Biden was supposed to come to Israel and then go to Jordan, where he was to meet with King Abdullah of Jordan, President Abbas, the Palestinian president, and President Sisi from Egypt. That meeting has been cancelled. The Jordanian foreign minister himself said there is no point now at talking about anything except stopping this war. So really what is being said in those capitals is is the the time for any kind of discussion or negotiation is over. We want to see a ceasefire. Joe Biden flew in to stop any kind of regional conflagration from the conflict in Gaza. And in fact, what he's flown into is anger over what's going on in Gaza, spreading like wildfire across the Middle East. It was interesting that when he landed in Israel, he went to shake Benjamin Netanyahu by the hand. They've never been terribly close, these two, 
But when he went to shake the hand of Prime Minister Netanyahu, and Netanyahu grabbed him in a bear hug and pulled him to him. So that kind of imagery in the Arab world at a time when there's so much anger over these civilian deaths in Gaza could be very problematic and it could undermine Biden's ability to act as a a mediating force between Israel and the Arab states. It feels like everything is so fraught at the moment. You know, we often say that the Middle East in the past has been like a tinderbox, and it certainly feels like that now. There's a lot of potential for miscalculation on either side, which could very quickly escalate. Just to work out what that might look like and how Israel's various neighbours might respond, just tell us what's been happening, firstly, in the West Bank, which is obviously run by Hamas's great rival, Fatah. I was last in the West Bank in July this year when there was an Israeli military operation into the Janine refugee camp and the atmosphere there was incredibly febrile at the time. Explosions and gunfire have rocked the alleys of Janine refugee camp since the early morning. Israeli forces launched a huge assault using hundreds of ground troops, as well as airstrikes, even sending in bulldozers. There's been a huge upsurge in violence there, attacks from Israeli settlers on Palestinian villages and also so-called lone wolf attacks by Palestinian gunmen on settlers. And... One of the most striking things about what was going on at that time and and who the anger was directed towards was it wasn't just towards the Israelis and their security forces. There was enormous Palestinian anger directed towards the Palestinian Authority and President Abbas himself, who is seen as at best incompetent and at worst corrupt and a collaborator with the Israeli occupation. Things could very easily erupt there. I mean, that really is alarming. In the meantime, for Israel's neighbours, I mean, we've already seen some crossfire with Lebanon. Just talk us through what the situation is like there at the moment and how that could potentially, in a worst case scenario, escalate. There was really some quite heavy exchanges of fire yesterday, certainly across that border, and Hezbollah fired anti-tank missiles into Israel, which is fairly aggressive. There's, There's nothing to suggest at the moment that they are planning on a sort of opening a full-scale front in that conflict. It looks more like they are sort of harassing and tying up Israeli security forces in that area, sort of holding them down there, in a sense, in support of Hamas in Gaza, you know, providing that front. But it's not really progressed beyond that. One thing that we have seen happen is that the Lebanese military themselves have discovered loaded rocket launchers belonging to Hezbollah on that border. Um, You're in this very peculiar situation in Lebanon where Hezbollah, the Iranian-backed militia, is stronger than the Lebanese army itself, the actual official army. That's a very delicate balance there. What about Israel's other neighbours? I mean, um, what are we seeing already happening and what are the dangers in, in Syria and Jordan and then to the other side of Gaza uh, in Egypt? 
Syria, curiously, seems to have been one of the quieter fronts in this so far. There have been some airstrikes that I think we can attribute to Israel on Damascus Airport, Aleppo Airport and elsewhere, which appear to be a sort of standard exercise the uh, IDF carry out in order to disrupt any transfer of weapons from Iran to Hezbollah, which is usually done in Syria. In Jordan, I think that certainly one thing to watch is the kind of civil unrest that this is causing and, and the level of protest, because more than half the population in Jordan is Palestinian. King Abdullah is in a delicate situation about keeping a lid on that. He's expressed increasing anger over what's going on and has has joined the Egyptians in saying that Israel has now gone beyond self-defense and its right to defend itself against attack and has moved into collective punishment. I think that Jordan and Egypt are both united in a desire to stop any refugee outpouring from either Gaza or the West Bank. The Egyptians have explicitly said that they won't allow it. They've Mm. said publicly is that they believe that the mass expulsion of the Palestinians would be another Nakba, another catastrophe like that of 1948. The messages you're hearing from Egypt and Jordan now is that they will not collude in the erasure of that Palestinian identity and people, and thus they will not allow refugees. If there was to be an escalation, what role exactly do the Qataris play at the moment, and how might things play out? Qatar have been a long-time sponsor of Hamas in terms of their... um, governance of the Gaza Strip, so that they've been the main source of funding for its civilian infrastructure. And it's a very, very curious kind of arrangement (laughs) that Israel sort of approves of because, you know, it means it doesn't have to govern Gaza, which is something that it's, you know, not wanted to do since it it pulled down. It doesn't want to fund it either. So the fact that Qatar funds Gaza's governance is not something that Israel objects to. But this also means that Qatar has the ability to speak to Hamas. It's got the lines open. The line that isn't open is a direct one between Qatar and Israel. So when Qatar is speaking to Hamas, as it is doing now, including over the fate of the hostages, the Qataris will then speak to the US, who will speak to the Israelis. So these negotiations, they're taking about three times longer than they would be if the parties were negotiating face to face. And Catherine, amid that horrific atmosphere, we've seen a number of diplomatic visits, even President Biden. And people seem to be coming not just to show their support to Israel at a very difficult moment, also to raise questions about the humanitarian crisis in Gaza. There seems to be a third reason they're there, though. There is a real fear in the international community that this could escalate. Tell us about that. The fear is that this will not just be, you know, what previous conflicts in Gaza have been, but something that may open up and become much wider. We've seen very swiftly the US dispatch not one but two carrier strike groups, and that's really to show a presence. The Pentagon announcing the USS Gerald R. Ford carrier strike group is heading to the Eastern Mediterranean. Now that includes the Navy's newest aircraft carrier, the Ford, and cruisers and four guided missile destroyers. But I think it is really there 
as a warning to Iran, as a deterrent, saying, do not try to take advantage of this situation. We don't even know the extent to which Iran was involved in the original Hamas attack on Israel. President Biden has not said Iran is responsible, even though the purpose of his visit is to in part to deter Iran from getting involved in and make it clear what the consequences would be if they are. The head of CENTCOM, the top US military commander in the Middle East, arrived in Tel Aviv on Tuesday and he was meeting with senior Israeli officials to gain a clear understanding of Israel's defence requirements. And so that suggests that there may be more backup coming from the US in some shape or form. What the US has already done is is selected 2,000 personnel who may be deployed to Israel in absolutely in non-combat roles. There's no question of the US entering the conflict in that manner but maybe they're in some sort of advisory role and possibly to provide medical backup, that kind of thing. But again, this is a a show of support, really, to say this is how high the stakes are, that this this conflict cannot become a regional conflagration with all the risks that that would involve. Coming up... What happens next will be determined by Israel, but also by the reaction of the two big beasts of the Middle East, Saudi Arabia and Iran. So could we be heading for World War III? It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Catherine, let's take a look at how this could spread out across the Middle East. The title for the leader of the Muslim world, I suppose, is often fought over by Iran and Saudi Arabia. And they divide down sectarian lines. How does that influence how they both look at the question of Hamas? 
really. You've seen this rivalry between the two. Saudi Arabia, kind of the leader of the Sunni Middle East, and Iran, the most important Shia power. And that rivalry has played out between those two states ever since. And and Hamas are Sunni, so you might expect them to be allied to Saudi Arabia. But in fact, this is part of Iran's attempt to project its authority in the Middle East and the the authority of Shia Islam. And and by supporting Hamas, it sort of has declared itself to be, you know, the most important power in opposing Israel. And of course, it also sponsors Hezbollah, which is a Shia militia based in Lebanon. By backing these two groups, really, Iran is saying, look, we, the leading Shia power in the Middle East, are doing more to fight Israel, the supposedly great unifying in the Arab world. We are doing more than you, the Arab countries, because, of course, Iran is is Persian, not Arab. So essentially, uh, Hamas has been a sort of source of authority and prestige for Iran. Catherine, just take us back to just over a fortnight ago, before these attacks by Hamas took place, it felt like the shape of the Middle East was changing. There was a sense that there was going to be a historic deal between the Saudis and the Israelis. Just talk us through what the great hopes were. Under President Trump, some agreements were struck, which were collectively known as the Abraham Accords. After decades of division and conflict, we mark the dawn of a new Middle East. Thanks to the great courage of the leaders of these three countries, we take a major stride toward a future in which people of all faiths and backgrounds live together in peace and prosperity. And what they did was the United Arab Emirates and Bahrain both recognized Israel, which was historic because no Gulf country had ever done that before. The only countries in the region to recognize Israel were Egypt and Jordan. And that came after they'd made their peace in in preceding conflicts. So this was seen by some as a game changer in in the future of the Middle East. I think the hope was to, to tie these countries together sort of economically and that that would become an interest in making peace. But the the problem with pursuing these accords in this manner was they really completely sidelined the Palestinians from the conversation. The biggest prize in all of this was to be normalization between Israel and Saudi Arabia. Now we're all talking about that having either been put on ice or completely blown up by what Hamas did. We'll never know now how that might have progressed had Hamas not attacked. I think that now now they have, it's thrust the Palestinian question right to the forefront again mm. and really has reminded everyone that you can't make a deal around them that doesn't address the sort of festering sore at the middle of the Middle East. Catherine, a lot of people seem to be most worried that depending on how the operation in Gaza plays out, depending on how Israel is seen to have managed it, this could escalate. How bad do you think it could get? You know, some people have talked of World War III. I mean, we've most recently been talking about World War III in relation to Ukraine, obviously, because although it's not a war between Russia and NATO, not directly anyway, NATO is supplying Ukraine. 
Is it more complicated because there's already the Ukraine war, which has already divided the world along different axes, and suddenly there's another point of pressure? Well, we've got Vladimir Putin popping up in Beijing. Now, there was meant to be a Security Council resolution on the conflict here over Gaza, which didn't make it through because it did not include a specific condemnation of Hamas. And that was because Russia and China refused to go there. But once again, we're seeing another conflict where they're taking sides together. In that sense, the same divisions that you've seen um, highlighted by the Ukraine war are being seen in this conflict too. And so Russia and China are kind of playing a double game where they're trying to carry favour with the Arab world by being seen as on the pro-Palestinian side, casting the West as pro-Israel and therefore anti-Palestinian. So I think that that's kind of the dynamic that they're going on. And this is consistent with, you know, Russia and China's appeals towards the developing world and saying, oh, look, you know, we're being lauded over by these Western countries and this is wrong. They'd love to pull more of the Arab world into that and away from the West. Catherine, for you on the ground, being surrounded Mm. by all of this, how do you see it playing out over the next month or two? What is very unclear, I think, still, and may be unclear in the minds of the Israeli military planners, because this was foisted upon them, is whether they actually intend to occupy Gaza in the long term. Because if Mm. you remove Hamas from power in Gaza, they're the government as well as the militant group who are attacking Israel. It's sort of like the Americans invading Iraq. You break it, so you own it. I don't think that's something that Israel will want to do. What comes next? It's just not clear. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times. With me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, the Times World Affairs Editor, Catherine Philp. You can keep up to date with all the latest developments in the Middle East at thetimes.co.uk with a subscription. The producer today was Edward Drummond. The executive producer is Fiona Leach. And sound design was, very sadly, for the final time, by David Crackles. If there are any questions about the Middle East situation that you'd like us to explore and explain in a future podcast, or any thoughts on what you've just heard, then please do send us an email to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.